Let me say good morning to everyone this morning. Good morning. All right, all right. It is a fantastic morning as always. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we always need you. We always need you, but especially in this moment, as we come as your oracle, we need you even more. Lord, this is a worthless, a useless exercise if you don't speak through us this morning. Father, this is futile. If your Holy Spirit does not illuminate your word. So Lord, we ask that you would be gracious to us today and cause to be done what only you can do. Lord, let this be a productive time, not only in this moment, but for all those who will hear this message in the days, weeks, months and years to come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Story is told about a an old Baptist preacher from Snug Corner Auckland's. And this Baptist preacher got up to preach. And in a baritone voice that I am incapable of emulating, he said to the congregation, I want you to say amen if you don't mind spending 90 minutes in the presence of the Lord. And all the old women in the front with wear white, they all said, Amen. But the preacher was mindful that the majority of persons did not say, Amen, because they had other things on their minds, no doubt. And so the preacher said, But you know, the truth is, I'm going to need at least two hours to convince the rest of you that you need to enjoy being in the presence of the Lord. And he said to them, he said, I need you to say, help him, Lord, help him. So the reality is, that no matter where you are today, we're going to spend some time with the Lord. And I'm sure you're going to ask the Lord to help me. Today, <clears throat> we are going to consider the words of Mark Gospel writer, found in Mark chapter 8, 
beginning at verse 31. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. And Mark writes, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get thee behind me. Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in exchange or in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me And of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Today we are going to consider the topic, the cost of following Jesus, the cost of following Jesus. And to help us to organize and to frame our thoughts, we're going to consider this topic under two broad headings. The false cost of following Jesus. The false cost of following Jesus. And secondly, the true cost of following Jesus. I've got a question for you at the outset, though. My question is, how many of you, or rather, have you ever been a victim of false advertising? Have you ever been a victim of false advertising? Have you been, ever been? That's a question. 
Have you ever been a victim of false advertising? Yes or no? You have been. I, I dare to say that every single person in this room has been a victim of false advertising. Retailers are masters of false advertising. Consider just a few examples. Promoting something as free when in fact it is not. You know, you buy, a, uh, you get a, a free telephone and, and then perhaps some people would unwisely believe that there is no bill that will accompany it at the end of the month. But sure enough, there's a bill at the end of the month. Or what about this one? <clears throat> Buy one, get one free. Right? Now, if the other one was truly free, you would not have had to buy the first one. So it's truly not free. What about this one, going out of business sale? I remember there was a certain company, and it took me, I was a, I was a younger, much younger person, and I never understood this. Why it is that this company every single week was advertising going out of business sale. And they never managed to go out of business. Never managed. But every week going out of business sale. And then there are others who misuse terms like low fat or no fat. You know, I wish they had some no fat uh, apple pie. I've, I'd enjoy that one. No fat, high fiber, or organic. Everything is organic these days. Misuse of terms. What about this one? Bait and switch. You know, they advertise something. Calvin, I'm not talking but you. <laughs> Calvin looking like me with talk that. Listen, I talk with Calvin. Calvin doesn't do this. You know, you advertise something, you say, you know, we've got, um, I don't know, let me, I want to be careful what I say. Let's say, we've got, uh, corned beef, how's that? How about Libby's corned beef on sale for 99 cents? And everybody runs to the store expecting to see Libby's corned beef for 99 cents. When you get there, the, 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 the cashier tells you, guess what, we are the Libby's. But we've got some devil on foyer for a dollar fifty. Right? That's a, that's a bait and switch tactic. You know, that's false advertising. False advertising. Just to get you in the door. Just to get you in the door. And then things switch on you. But in the passage that we come to today, we see Peter's attempt at false advertising and Jesus' sharp rebuke of him. Yes, even Christians can and do falsely advertise Christianity. Do it all the time. <clears throat> all of you <clears throat> who've been with us for some time will know that we are on a one-year journey through the book of Mark. During the last message in 
the series, we had a, an interesting encounter. There was an interesting encounter that we saw with Peter and Jesus. We saw Peter confessing that Jesus is the Christ. And now shortly after that, just shortly moments after that, he's being reprimanded by Jesus. <clears throat> the false cost of following Jesus. Let's consider that. The false cost of consider Jesus. Of following Jesus. You'll be aware that the book of Mark is written primarily to Gentiles. And Mark seeks in this book to demonstrate the power and the uniqueness of Jesus. And Peter, who in the verses that we Red is the main character in this account, was actually the eyewitness source for the book of Mark. In other words, Peter told Mark the story and Mark, John Mark wrote it down. But this Peter, Peter is an interesting guy. I, Peter really is quite an interesting person. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us what Peter looked like, how tall he was. It doesn't tell us anything about his character. But I think that based on some of the things that Peter was involved with, we can kind of make a bit of a deduction about Peter. I believe Peter was a tough dude. I think he was a tough dude. Peter was a a fisherman. I'm not saying that all fishermen are tough dudes, but boy, you got to be strong to to work in that hot sun. I believe Peter was a man's man, and I get this impression about Peter because how many of you remember when Jesus was about to be betrayed? Peter, I mean, Peter's. I don't know, either Peter's a tough dude or Peter was a crazy dude because there Peter was. There were men with weapons coming to take Jesus away. And Peter decides that he's going to take one of their swords and Peter starts swinging. Now I don't know whether Peter, Peter must have been swinging for the guy's head because he got his air. Now, he can't be that good. I can't imagine Peter saying, I'm going to just cut his hair off, right? I believe Peter was trying to slice him down the middle. Peter was a tough dude. And he was doing this all by himself. And then there's another account about Peter swearing. So I believe Peter was this big dude, commanding presence. Tough dude. As I said earlier, 
in the verses prior to verse 31 that we read, Jesus had just complimented Peter, had just recognized that Peter got it right when, P- when Peter said that Jesus was the Christ. Now I want you to see this amazing encounter as we consider this deception of Peter. Take a look at it. Verse 31, 31 through 33 of Mark chapter 8. Mark writes, And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Then Mark says, And he said this plainly. Jesus is here telling his disciples in in plain language for the very first time of what his fate will be. He's telling them of really why he came, of who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Jesus says to them, those who are head of the religious establishment, they're going to reject me. Indeed, they're going to do much more than that. They're going to kill me. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying, that's what I came for. That's what, I, that's what I'm here for. He said, I'm going to suffer. Here it is, the leader of the disciples is talking this way. And in verse 32, as we continue, it says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now I want you to get an image of this. Take a, just consider this for a moment. Here it is, Jesus is preaching. And in the middle of Jesus speaking, Peter pulls him and takes him aside. You know what that's like? That's like if pastor is preaching one of these days. Preaching. Imagine this for a moment. Pastor is preaching. And then David jumps up and walks up here and say, come, let me take, and takes him there. And, and tells him that, now listen, now you, now you know, you know, that, that's not right. That's not right. He rebukes him sharply. That's what this Peter did. This big bad dude. He pulls Jesus aside. And the Bible says he rebuked him. Now when you read the scriptures. And you see this word rebuke. You know Jesus rebuked the demons. And he rebuked the waves. You know this word rebuke is, is a strong word. Peter was saying to Jesus, how dare you? How dare you? You are the leader of this movement. You are the leader of this movement. How dare you talk to us this way? How dare you do this? You see, Peter was aware that if this was Jesus' faith, 
then what would be his fate and the fate of the other disciples? I want you to see a few things here. The first thing that I want you to see is how one can be so passionate about something. Because Peter must have been. After all, he gave up his livelihood. He gave up his job. And he was with Jesus. He stayed with him. He spent time with him. One can be passionate about something and be passionately wrong. Peter was with Jesus. And that's why you've got people who are Christians and some who say that they are, but are not. They are passionate about their beliefs. But they are passionately wrong. And that should also cause us to be humble. Because we too can be passionate in our beliefs. Be passionately wrong. There Peter was. Pulling the master aside. And telling him, you're wrong to do this. Believing it with all of his heart. You can be, you can attend church every Sunday. You can be with Jesus as Peter was. See, we don't have that, we don't have the privilege that Peter did. Peter was with Jesus. He heard the word directly from Jesus. But he got it wrong. And so that tells you, again, that's a warning to you and me. It's a warning. It it ought to cause us to to approach one another with humility. You know, it's okay to, to get into an argument. It's okay to get into a discussion. But just know that sometimes we can be wrong. We gotta get one thing right. But what was the thing? What what was going on in Peter's mind? Why did Peter not want Jesus to to speak this way? Mob doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us. But you know the truth is, you and I are not much unlike Peter. We are all practically the same, quite frankly. And I believe that we can consider this, and as we think it through, I believe that we can come to some reasons, perhaps, why Peter had a difficulty with what Jesus was doing at that moment. Jesus was seeking to present the gospel as it ought to be. He was seeking to present to his disciples what True discipleship was. Peter had a problem with it. I believe that Peter had an issue, perhaps, with this whole thing of power. I think Peter believed that Jesus was going to rule as king, as an earthly king. Peter, having heard these words, probably thought to himself, Jesus lacks ambition. 
what's with this? I can't believe this. I cannot believe. We've, we've, we've spent two years with this man and, and listen what he's saying. All of my, all of this time going down the drain. It's, it's a waste of time. Was Jesus, was he in this moment diminishing the movement that he started, that we labored and worked so hard all this time for? Here is this man who calmed the seas, who fed 5,000. And he is talking about these people, these weaklings. They are going to kill him, take his life. What's with him? Has he lost it? Perhaps Peter was afraid. What would it mean for him if Jesus were killed? After all, everyone knew that he was a part of this movement. But I bet you, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter simply thought about those comments of Jesus that they were simply not very strategic. You see, Peter probably thought, listen, if you are trying to motivate a group of people, you don't, you don't demotivate to inspire. You don't tell people bad news and expect them to, to follow you. That's not the way to lead a movement. You don't tell people, listen, you gotta die. Or that I'm going to die. I'm your leader. And I, this was gonna happen to me. You don't do that. No, you tell them that, listen, victory is yours and victory is mine. That's what you do. Perhaps Peter thought that Jesus was contradicting himself. After all, Jesus had said about himself that I am, I've come to give life. I am the bread of life. Well, how is it? If you've come to give life and you are the bread of life, now you say that you are going to die. This, this doesn't make sense. Jesus, you're destroying the movement. Eternal life is in you. You're destroying the movement. Perhaps see, Peter saw this as a loss of social status. The list of persons who Jesus mentioned, Jesus said in this list, Jesus said that he was going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. These were the people at the top of the hierarchy. And Peter is saying, listen, don't say that, oh Lord, what a mistake. You say that these people up there, that they're going to reject you and you expect us to follow you? That's not what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say that we're going to walk with kings. We're going to dine with queens on this earth. We don't want to be seen as no rebel rousers. Peter wanted to, to paint wanted Jesus to paint a picture of what it meant to be a disciple that was contrary to what Jesus had in mind. Perhaps Peter was simply embarrassed. I could just imagine 
embarrassed that having spent all of this time, having invested all of this time with Jesus to come to this point now where he says, listen, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. Whatever the reason, whatever Peter's reason, this ought to be a warning to us. Jesus helps us to get into the mind of Peter quite significantly. When Jesus said to Peter, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but rather you're setting your mind on the things of man. That was essentially Peter's problem. Peter had a problem with perspective. Peter had a problem with outlook. Peter was more concerned about the things of man than the things of God. So this disciple, who just moments ago Jesus had acknowledged, understood who he was, Jesus said to him, Jesus rebuked him, rebuked him, and said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Can you imagine that? Get thee. Behind me, Satan. Jesus referred to Peter that way. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Can I tell you that that's a problem that we all have from time to time? And it can overwhelm us. We we try to be a part of this world as disciples of Christ, as followers of Christ. We try to please the world. We use the world's standards to judge what we ought to do. We are ashamed sometimes to go against the crowd. The crowd says, this is the way to go. Well, we got to do it that way. Because it seems logical. It seems reasonable. But unlike Peter, Jesus does not falsely advertise or sugarcoat what it means to follow him. Let's now consider the true cost of following Jesus. Jesus says in these words, in verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him do what? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what Jesus says. You see, Jesus could have said, follow me and you'll never get sick again in your life. 
He could have said that. He could have advertised that. In fact, there are people who promote that. He could have said, follow me and you will own all the money and things that you want. There are people who say that too. But he didn't say that. He could have said, follow me. And you'll never have a day of disappointment in your life. He could have had the mind of man. Jesus didn't do that. You know, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Very often times, we, we wish Jesus had said those things. We wish he had said, you know, follow me and you'll never get sick. You'll have all that you want. The truth is, the vast majority of people who profess to follow him would swear that that's exactly what he said. But according to Mark's account, contrary to Peter's expectations, Jesus said, says that the cost of following him is huge. It's everything. In the remaining verses of chapter 8, Jesus tells us the true cost of following him. And then he gives four reasons why that cost is so high. I'm going to ask those who are going to project those words for us to, to do so now. <clears throat> Let me say that, pause and say to you that every time I have the, an opportunity to, to preach God's word, I contend with an amazing dilemma, a two-edged sword, if you will. On the one hand, as I immerse myself into God's Word, I see always my own inadequacy. And I must tell you that it makes me miserable. But on the other hand, I never fail to come to face to face with a, a merciful God who helps me to, to walk through that and who helps me to see that His grace is sufficient. And as we consider these words today, and as you hear these words today, I pray that He helps you in the same way. That though you and I might be inadequate to different degrees, that he's going to help us. Calling the disciples to him, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. I like the simplicity with which Daniel Aiken explains verse 34 in his book, 
Christ-centered exposition, exalting Jesus in Mark. And we projected it on the screen for you. This is what he writes. Being Jesus' disciple requires three essentials. First, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Give up the right to self-determination. Live as Christ directs. Treasure and value Jesus more than yourself your comforts, and your aspirations. Put to death the idol of I. Say no to you and yes to Jesus. My goodness, if you, Jesus says plainly, if you, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. That's the command to us. We are called to deny ourselves. About these words, John Piper writes, we must deny ourselves daily because we are so liable to find our pleasures elsewhere. Outside of Jesus. It is easy. We will Find our pleasures elsewhere. It's easy for us. Where would you and I be without self-denial? I want you to think about it for a moment. Where would you and I be without self-denial, without denying ourselves? As I was considering this, I was reminded of what Robert Machini, 19th century Scottish preacher, said. He said, the seed, seeds of every man's sin is in my heart. Can you imagine that? Imagine what you and I must deny what you and I confront on a daily basis. We must live as Christ directs. We must give up self-determination. So Peter had it wrong. Peter's, Peter's, Peter's concept of following Jesus was all wrong. He had it wrong. Then Daniel, Daniel Aiken, or Aiken, continues with the quote. He says, second, being Jesus, Jesus' disciples requires that we take up, that you take up your cross. He said, die. Luke 9 and 23 adds the word daily. 
because that is what we must do. This is not a normal or this is not normal or natural, but it is necessary to be Christ's disciple. And it is a slow and painful death. See, the truth is that sometimes you and I might see self-denial as something we do. Something that we do and taking up the cross as something we do in response to what the world does to us. Jesus says, that to follow him, one had to take up one's cross. To fully grasp the, the weight of this requirement to, of taking up the cross, one needs to bear in mind that in Jesus' day, death by crucifixion was common. It was common, so they had an understanding of it. They didn't have to imagine what it meant to take up one's cross. They were eyewitnesses to the excruciating pain, the embarrassment, the humiliation carrying the cross. And that's what Jesus is telling us. Jesus is saying to us that sometimes, very often, and it is increasingly so, increasingly so, that you and I will suffer. We're going to suffer as disciples. And he's saying to us that we got to be prepared to suffer unto death. Cross represented shame and sorrow and betrayal, death. And then finally, Daniel Aiken says, Jesus being Jesus' disciple, Christ following him. Are we willing to believe and obey Jesus? It will be radical not comfortable because it involves a death to the self-centered life. I'm, I'm going to need someone to tell me what time it is actually. <laughs> 20, okay, all right. <clears throat> Thank you. So we've got some time. It will be radical, not comfortable, because it involves a death to self-centered life. I believe that we get a better sense of what Jesus meant if we consider Colossians. I want us to turn to Colossians. Let's take a look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Remember now, we're talking about the cost. 
of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus. <clears throat> Paul writes, beginning in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You see, this ties right back into what Jesus said to Peter. What Peter's problem was setting his mind on the things of man rather than on the things of God. And Paul tells us, if then we have been raised with Christ, we are to set our minds on the things above, not on the things of earth. Then he says in verse 3, for you have died. The disciple of Christ. For you have died. Brothers and sisters, we've died. We've died. You and I, our lives are hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And now Paul goes, Further, take a look what he says. He says, Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of all these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, now that you're a disciple, you must put them all away, he says. Put them all away. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Slander. An obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And in verse 12, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all, above all these Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Then at verse 17 of chapter 3, Paul writes, Whatever you do, 
word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through Him. The Bible is very clear about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Jesus. You see, we don't choose our path. Jesus says very plainly, Jesus says, listen, if you want to follow me, then you got to deny yourself, you got to take up your cross, then you got to follow me. And if we say that we follow Christ, and we're going in the opposite direction, we are either lying on him, or we are trying to deceive ourselves. See, one thing that is clear from what you and I have considered this morning. That Jesus Christ was not minded to build monuments on earth. His focus was not earthly. It was heavenly. What Jesus was talking about and what Paul wrote about was a surrendered life. It was a surrendered life. And often songs capture the essence of Scripture so well. And they help us often to appreciate it and recall its meaning. And I believe that this song, the the song I Surrender All, does that in this Context, just listen to some of the words of the song. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at His feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me, Jesus, take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy, thine. Jesus, having spoken plainly about what it means to be a true disciple, what it means to follow him, the remaining verses, Mark chapter 8 tells his disciples why it's necessary, why it's important. He makes a case, Jesus makes a case for why they should deny themselves and take up the cross and follow him. The first thing he says, he says, he says, do it for whoever would save his life will lose it. See that? But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Jesus makes plain that he knows the way, that he is the way, that he is the only way. Jesus says, you try to save your life. He says, you've got to lose it. Try to save your life apart from me. You're going to lose it. It can't happen. You, 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 your life will expire. And then Jesus says, next reason why you need to do this, he says, 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And yet Jesus is saying, Jesus places, he makes an argument, really, he makes a point against which there is no compelling argument. Jesus says, listen, if you were able to do what is absolutely impossible, that is, if you got all the wealth and all the wisdom and all the influence in the whole world, all of it, all of it, he said, still, does not pay for your soul. Jesus speaking not about our physical bodies. Speaking about our souls. See, there are people in this world who go after wealth and who go after fame, who go after influence, But the record will show that they've all, they're now dust. And if they're in dust today, they could be dust in a few years. You can't buy your way into this thing. Jesus says you gotta deny that there is only one way, he says. And that way is through self-denial and taking up your cross and following me. That's it. There's no other way. And Jesus said, this is a big deal. He said, what will you give in exchange for your soul? Is there anything that you will give? Is there a momentary pleasure that you will give in exchange for your soul? Is there influence? Is there wealth? What will you give? And then Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. Perhaps there was something that Peter said to him that caused him to say this very specifically. Perhaps Peter was ashamed of what Jesus was saying. Jesus saying, and he says to us that we ought not be ashamed. We ought to wear the label of disciple so that the world can see it. This account, as we conclude, this account in Scripture, it demonstrates how easy it is for us to lose perspective, to be like Peter, to to lose perspective. It reminds us that we are naturally disposed to be earthly minded. Like Peter, naturally disposed. That's, That's the way we are, the way we have been made. We are naturally disposed in this fallen world to be earthly minded. Perhaps you're here today and and you say, I'm just like Peter. I'm more aware of the things of man than the things of God. 
I often don't look at things from God's perspective. Perhaps that's what you're saying today. I believe many of us can say the same thing. I often do not look at things from God's perspective. In fact, you might say, there is little evidence in my life that I am a follower of Jesus. It could be that you've traded, you've even traded obedience to Christ for worldly pleasures. But I want to say to you today that next week, next week as we continue our series in this book of Mark, we'll see that Jesus didn't give up on Peter. He didn't give up on Peter. Peter remained a part of his inner circle. He didn't give up on him. Peter didn't stop being human. The truth is, we can only follow Jesus in increasing ways through the grace that he grants to us. And that is why we we ought to appeal to him for grace. That's the message. If you're a believer today, Lord, I pray that you would extend your grace to me so that I might in increasing ways be your disciple. That I might follow you. That I might more demonstrably deny myself and take up my cross. But perhaps you hear today and you say, I don't believe any of that stuff. Perhaps you say that I can handle life all by myself. I'll make as much money as I can and I'm going to enjoy life. I'll prove Jesus wrong. Really, that's what you say. And ultimately, I'm going to prove Jesus wrong. If those words describe you today, know that those are not original thoughts. That's the first thing. Those are just not original thoughts. So sorry, I gotta tell you. First your bubble. They are thoughts of men and women who have come and gone. Gone. Not one has figured out how to cause, how to make his Her fortune. Give him or her eternal life. Not one. Not one. Not one has been able to enjoy the things accumulated after their inevitable death. Jesus is right. There is nothing more valuable than your Soul. Nothing more valuable than your soul. You get this wrong. You've got everything wrong. Jesus said, your soul is valuable. He says, what shall it profit you? Gain the whole world, he says, 
and you lose the only thing that matters. Nothing matters. He said, what will you give in exchange for your soul? What are you going to give? Number one athlete, is that it? Popular with the girls, is that it? What are you going to give? What is your soul really worth is the question. Yes, we talked about the cost of everything. Today we, we talked about cost. Today. Talked about cost. But you know, I'm, a, I'm an accountant. And we can't just look at one side of the ledger. But to you who are not following Jesus Christ especially, please know that while there is a cost, there is also a reward. There is also a reward. A soul that lives forever. Yes, there is a cost of following Jesus, but the reward is a soul that lives eternally with him. And there is a reward even here today. Our reward is knowing that we have a sovereign God who works in the midst of plenty and of little. When there is a hurricane and when the sun shines. And though often there is physical pain, we can pray to him and ask him, Lord, help us to see through the dark clouds. God grant us grace to see through it. And so he can give us joy. That's, that's the, that's the peace that we have. That's the benefit that we have of serving the Lord today. Father, we just thank you for choosing us. Lord, what a What a delight, what a joy, what a privilege. Lord, you have condescended. You have, you have done this marvelous thing. You have sent a Savior to die for us. Oh Lord, we cannot imagine, Lord, the cost that you pay. We cannot imagine the cost that you paid. Lord, you've, you've called us, Father. You've called us to, to do this. You've called us to follow Christ, to deny ourselves, our wicked selves. Oh, Lord, it's all for our good. It's all for our good. Help us to see that, Lord. Help us to see through the darkness. Lord, grant us grace to embrace this truth of self-denial and help us, Lord, to take up our cross daily. Help us to live for you. Help us not to be ashamed of you. Help us to have the mind of Christ. Lord, grant to us grace. Grant to us humility. 
Father, we ask that you would, we ask that you would keep us as your word declares until the Lord returns. And Lord, we pray also for those who hear these words and who are not convicted by them. We pray, O Lord, that you will do a walk in their hearts, that you would be pleased to do a walk in their hearts that only you can do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people say, Amen.